celebrate you getting out of bed, even if you don't. Uh, we really mean it uh, because we know that it's hard to do, uh, especially on chilly mornings. Um, this was the first Sunday unloading the trailer that it was uh, like sub 40 degrees. It was cold. Everything that you grabbed to get off the trailer was like, oh, I forgot my gloves at home this morning. It was, it was, it was insane. So uh, we realize we live in the state of Maine, and uh, because we live in the state of Maine, we really need celebrate getting out of bed come on somebody right like like yeah uh so if, you, if you're new here uh, my name is pastor adam Dale. i'm the, the pastor here at the bethany church and uh, i just want to say thank you so much for being here this morning uh, we hope that you enjoy this morning as much as we enjoy experiencing it with you so uh, we hope that, that, that you enjoy this morning and, and enjoy that uh, our company and, and just being being with each other uh, before i really get started this morning something that I normally would not do, but uh, my mom has been listening to our podcast that we put up, by the way, all of our sermons, all of our messages are on iTunes, you can get on later in the week, and you can check out any of the sermons that we've done uh, from March 5th, 2017, all the way to the present, and uh, anyway, my mom's been listening to our podcast, and tomorrow's her birthday, so I'm just going to tell her happy birthday on the podcast, just so that you guys know her birthday. Give my mama a hand. She is a lot of responsible for this. And uh, so this week we are wrapping up a series called Love Over Obligation. It's the last uh, installment of our three-week series. And uh, it's, I, hope, I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, we've focused a lot on the prodigal son story, although it's not um, like the, the key thing. Like, we'll mention it in today's message, but it's not the primary scripture for today. And um, I've enjoyed it. But And, and we're going to get to some review in just a moment. But before I do, I want to kind of give you a look ahead at the next three weeks. Uh, we're getting ready to enter a time of year uh, in America, and, and, and not just in America, but in the world, where um, we become very selfish. Uh, and, and, and we also like to give. But we also like to buy. And, and because we're entering into the holiday season, I feel like it's my, uh, my duty, my obligation, for lack of a better word, even love over obligation, because I love you, right? That we talk about money for the next three weeks. So um, now most pastors will not announce that they're going to talk about money. I am. I'm, I'm new to this whole pastoring thing. I've only been doing it for 18 months now. And, uh, and so uh, I'm going to make a rookie mistake if I have to and let you know we're going to talk about money for the next three weeks. And it's not because we need your money, but it's because we need our priorities in order. Um, this, what we do, has always been about Jesus. It will always be about Jesus. It's all about him. And everything that we have comes from him. And therefore, we want to make sure that we're trusting him and not our money. So the next three weeks, we're going to be doing a series called In God We Trust with a question mark. So I want to invite you to be a part of that. And if I've scared you away, I'm sorry. But I promise you, I'll do my best. 
So love over obligation. Over the last two weeks, we've talked about choosing love in our relationship with God over our relationship, over our obligation to follow him. So many times we fall into this trap of believing that we're a slave of God and not a son of God. And so God wants us to see ourselves as his son and not his slave. But oftentimes before we come into a relationship with God, we get into it and we go, well, I can't come into a relationship with God because I've got to get all this in order before I do. Because we feel like we're obligated to be right with him before we come to him. But in reality, we have to receive his love for us and allow that to transform us and allow us to, to love him back so that we can love other people. And so in, in week one, we talked about the father son and how all three characters in that story, the father, the younger son, and the older son, they all had an obligation, some sort of obligation. The father's obligation was compassion to give to his son. And because of that, we see that we are able to respond to the father with love. God wants our hearts. He wants us to see ourselves as sons, not slaves. Week two, last week, this was really important for the review because we're going to capitalize on a lot of what we said last week this morning. So I want to kind of make sure that I give a thorough review of, of what we talked about last week. Last week, we talked about life-giving love, and we defined that as being uh, love that God gives because God is the author of life and the author of love. It has to come from Him. It has to start God. And so we talked about two different types of cycles that we can find ourselves falling into. The first one is the cycle of obligation or the cycle of performance. And the other one is the cycle of, of life-giving love. Where we, uh, so so in, a, in the cycle of life-giving, or the cycle of obligation, sorry, um, in, in that cycle what happens is we perform, so we desire love from, from someone. And so we, because we desire that love, we respond with performance because we want that love. We, we do in order to receive. And so um, then because we perform, then we feel whatever the rejection or, or the love that is given to us, we feel. And because we feel, we perform some more. And we get into this cycle of, of performance-based um, based love. And that's not how God works. God wants us to operate in the cycle of life-giving love, meaning that we receive his love first, that it's based on him. And this is really foundational for today. That we receive his love first, and then we love him back. And because we love him back, when we love him back, he responds with giving us enough love for everyone. We love him first, and then he gives us enough love for other people. And so... We said two things last week that are really important here. The first thing that we said is that every son desires to hear the word from God's word. Now, that's not just sons, but that's daughters as well. And I want you to know this morning that when I refer to sons, I'm referring to sons and daughters. So let's not, not get wrapped up in gender because our society is already about that enough. We'll deal with that. We're children of God that we've given our hearts to Jesus. And so... Um, every son, every daughter desires to hear the word from God and get it. And then we said that the father, in the story of the prodigal son, clothed his son because of his love. He gave him his robe. He gave him the father's robe. And it was a robe that was really significant because people would look at the son wearing the father's robe and say, the son is now 
restorative father. And then he didn't just give him the robe, but he gave him the, the family signet ring, indicating that the father now trusts the son to make decisions on behalf of the, the family because the signet ring would carry the family's future forward. And then he said, uh, he sent the servant to go and get the shoes, to get the sandals. And it's really significant that he put sandals on his son's feet because if you were a slave, slaves go barefoot, but sons go shoeless. And it's really significant. And so we see the picture of the story of the prodigal son as being our relationship with God. And, and so, so this morning we want to talk about how we get to love that is endless. And it is love that is endless for God and not necessarily for people. Although you will notice that a lot of the, the, the things that we talk about, the principles that we talk about today, will also apply to your marriage. It will also apply to things in your, your relationship with your kids, relationship with your, uh, your co-workers. Um, some of them, not all of them. But um, it applies to our relationship with other people as well. So we're talking about endless love today. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for what you have given to us. God, I pray that you would help us to see this morning that you have a desire for a lifelong relationship with all of us. Father, I, I thank you that we can come to you as our Father, God, our perfect Father, that we can come to you in relationship as, as your sons. And Lord, I pray that this morning we would all see ourselves as sons and not as slaves. Father, I pray that um, we would fall in love with you because of that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The endless love today, again, I want, I want to just reiterate that the endless love today that we speak of is the, the love that we have towards God. People often ask me, Adam, uh, how do I get love for God like you have? Or, or maybe they might say it like, maybe they say it as, Adam, I could never love God the way you do. And maybe you have friends that, that say that to you as well. Today, I hope that we all fall in love with God at a deeper level. It doesn't matter where you're at with your relationship with, with God. Because we, we know that we all come into this space with different levels of relationship with God. Some of you are really, really, really far from God, and, and really, maybe even you're just exploring to see if you believe in him or not. Some of you have been close to God for years and years and years, and at the end of the day, whatever it is, we just want you to get closer to God in your life. And so our goal today is to get closer to him and to fall in love with him. When Jesus was alive, people always tried to trap him. They were trying to trap him, get him back into a corner so that they can um, find him saying something that wasn't true. And so people were always, always trying to get him to say what they wanted him to say. One day, a religious leader comes to Jesus, and uh, he's trying to trap him. And this is the question that the religious leader asked Jesus. He said, which one of which is the most important commandment of the law of Moses? It would be like one of us walking up to a police officer today and saying, which, one of, which is the impo most important law for us to follow? Well, he's trying to trap Jesus into saying that, um, you know, it's like when you get 
pulled over and you're like, come on, I'm just speeding, right? Like, which, what's the most important law anyway? Do you think the police officer is going to answer you? Of course not. The law is that you need to follow the speed limit. That's like one possible law, right? And so this religious leader is trying to trap Jesus into to getting him to say what? Did you understand that? So in Matthew chapter 22, we find Jesus' response. It's chapter 22, verse 37 through 40. Um, you can follow along with us in our notes today. All of our notes are online on the YouVersion Bible app on your cell phone. You can get there by following the instructions on the screen. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 through 40. By the way, in my opinion, this is the best, best way to follow us, right? The, like, I love that Pastor Chris Hodges says, um, this is my Bible. Like, like, everyone can have a Bible, but this one's mine. And, and, and so every, everyone has one of these, but, but this one is mine. So um, that's the best way to follow us. Matthew 22, 37 through 40 says, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law, listen, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commands. What Jesus is saying is the whole law is based on this. Love God first, love other people second. Everything else will fall into place. These are based, this is what it's based on. The foundation that we all must have is loving God. It starts there. It starts with loving God. Which brings me to our big idea for today. The big idea for today is that if our love is going to be endless, then it must be built on a foundation. Pretty simple. If our love for God is going to be endless, it must be built on the foundation. Now, remember, today we're talking about our endless love for God. So what we're saying is our love for God must be built on the foundation of God loving us, right? Our love for God must be built on the foundation of his love for us. Now, let me just say, when I speak of endless love, it can all be applied to our marriages as well. But how many of you would say um, that you remember the, pas- the, the, the passage or the, the message that your wedding officiant did on your wedding day? Anybody, all the ladies raise their hand, all the guys say, I had one thing on my mind during that ceremony. Um, no? Okay. That's all right. It's a little inappropriate. So the, the, the wedding ceremony that my wife and I had, my dad performed it. And because of that, I remember it. Um, and, or I remember most of it. Her uncle also performed part of the message. And um, my dad's part, I remember because he's my dad, but also because uh, in the middle of the ceremony, he managed to go behind the, the, the podium and get this big rock and bring it out. He could barely carry it. He pushed it out and he said, I want to give you your very first wedding present. And it's a big rock. And he says, I want this rock to always remember, always remind you to build your marriage on a foundation, the foundation of Jesus Christ. And so that was his message to us, to build our, 
our marriage on the foundation of, of Jesus Christ. And therefore, like, this goes together, right? It all goes together. Our marriage, our marriages, our love for each other, and our love for God has to be founded on the love that Jesus offers us. Love must be built on the foundation of God's, God's love for us, which it kind of seems weird, right? Like, like you're basing, we're basing our love on love. Like, it, it seems kind of circular and kind of, kind of weird, except for the relationship with the son and the father. Because science studies have even proven that most of our relationships with our parents, most of our our lives, really, are a lot of what we do is founded on the relationship between the father and the child. That's why when 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 fathers give up on their families, it, it's devastating. Devastating, because so many times our lives are are based on the way that we have received love from from our father, from Jesus Christ, and so. Um, it's really, like, the relationship between father and child is really, really important. Really important. In Luke chapter 15, verse 17 through 19, back to the prodigal son story. In the story of the prodigal son, um, it says in verse 17 through 19, we've looked at this throughout the last three weeks, so um, it just won't, won't surprise you. But it says this, it says, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food and enough, uh, enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. Verse 18, I will go home and say to my father, father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please make me your hired servant. So the young son has, has sinned against his father by saying, dad, I wish you were dead. I want, my, I want my inheritance. And so he takes the money and he goes and he squanders it so much so that he doesn't have enough food to, to, to eat. And so he finds himself with the pigs and he's sitting there saying, the pigs have enough to eat and I don't. And I'm starving to death. You know what? I'm so miserable. I'm going to go home and I'm going to say to my father, Father, I've, you know what? I've done wrong. I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not worthy to be even called your son. Make me a servant. The son is saying, the only way that my dad could ever be proud of me again is if I go home and I work for him. Maybe some of you can identify with that. Maybe you felt distant from your father growing up. Maybe you felt like you had to perform in order to receive your father's love. Maybe your dad didn't say that he would love you. You know, um, thinking back on my life, my life, my life, um, I was as I was preparing for this this message and preparing for this whole series. Really, I thought about the times in my life when my dad told me that he was proud of me. And my dad, I think, if he were to take like a strength finder test or or a personality test, one of his um, top three would probably be nurture. And he he'd probably deny it, but he was quite the nurturer growing up. And so, therefore, because he was nurtured um, by nature, and because I'm a nurturer by nature, like, so 
So the, the, the story of the prodigal son, he's going home and he's saying, you know what, I just, I just, I just want to hear those words again. I'm going to go home and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this speech. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me a servant. That's, I will do whatever it takes, Dad, for you to be proud of me again. That's what he's saying. But we know because we, we studied it in the first week that father sees the son coming and he runs down the street and it was it was a it was not kosher for him to do that because he has to pick up his robe and expose his undergarments for everyone to see him running for him to run or else he trips and he falls and so because he has to pick up his robe and run to his son he leaves his house and he runs to meet him there so that he beats the entire village to his son, and he gets there before anyone else. That is really important, because the whole town wanted to kill the boy, because of the broken relationship with the father, because of what he had done. And so the son gets to his, to his the father gets to his son, and he lavishes this love upon him. And the son realizes, my dad's always been proud of me. My dad has always loved me. And none of it ever changed. And that's the picture of God's love for all of us. That once we come to know him, he loves us so much that it is always there for us. Once he, once he puts the righteousness of God upon us, it is always there. In Romans chapter 8, I'm reminded of, of this, this, really this, this fine line of doing what we do for God, God because we love him versus doing what we do for him out of performance. Because here's, here's the, the, the fine line. The fine line is the son receives the father's love, right? He receives the father's love, and so now all he wants to perform because he, he thought that he would have to be a servant. He thought that he was going to have to perform anyway, but he doesn't have to perform. And because he doesn't have to perform, there's this fine line that we can fall into oftentimes. We fall into, I better perform so that God loves me, or I better perform so that my wife loves me, or I better perform so that my children love me. 
But we must do it based on love. And it reminds me of Romans chapter 8, verse 1 through 8, and then verse 15 through 16. I want to read it for you. It's also on the screen. It says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of, the, of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the, like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son a sacrifice for our sin. Verse 4. He did this so that, the, so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Those who are dominated by their sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So let us, so letting your spirit, or your, I'm sorry, verse 6, so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting your spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's law, and it never will. And that's why those who are still under control of their sinful nature never can never please God. Verse 15 and 16 says, says this. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you have received God's spirit. He adopted you as his own children, and now you call him Abba, Father. Remember, Abba, that's the, that's the, the term that is used as love trust, loving your father and trusting your father that he is the, the founder of your family. That term Abba is so dear. So now we can call him Abba Father and his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. When God comes into our lives and saves us from a lifestyle that we know is destructive, we know we're headed for d- disaster. We know that we're, like, we better get something right. And when God's spirit comes into our lives and saves us, we cannot help but to respond with a desire to please God. This is why I don't understand why people say things like, well, I have the liberty to sin or I have the liberty to do what I want to because God's not going to give up on me. I can do whatever I want to because God has saved me. And again, it's a fine line of legalism, right? Because we don't want to fall into a legalistic mindset. We want to do what we do for God based on love, but we can't go out and do whatever we want because we wouldn't, because, because otherwise we would disappoint God. So we all have this desire to make God proud, I hope. That's why our foundation for endless love for God is based on his love for us. One day when Jesus was 12 years old, uh, Mary and Joseph lost him. This, this is found in Luke chapter 2. Jesus is 12 years old. His parents lose him for three days. And they find him in the church. They find him in the temple. And when they get to Jesus, they, he, says to them, he, uh, he says, and he says to them, why do you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? This relationship of making the father proud 
is something that Jesus lived off of as well. This is, this is a model that Jesus had for our lives. He also wanted to make his father proud. Later on in Luke chapter 3, before Jesus is baptized, before Jesus is baptized, uh, or as Jesus is being baptized, the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove, it says. And God says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved son who I'm proud of. I can't help but to think how Jesus must have felt with hearing those words. It's the same words that we crave to hear when we get to heaven someday. Well done, my good and faithful servant. We want to hear those words of being proud of us. We want to make God proud. But if we want to make God proud, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know this morning that we cannot operate based on our performance. We cannot do that based on our performance. We're not, we're saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves. It's a gift of God so that no one can boast about what they do. It's not based on us, but it has to be based on his love for us. Every son has a desire to make his father proud. Some of you, it may be in spite of who we are. And you say, and, and those of you that are like that, you're like, I'll show him. I'll, I'll show him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prove to him that I am, I'm a man or I'm a woman. Isn't that how love works? With the desire to please someone? The desire to make someone else proud. We all want to make people proud in our lives. I want Tanya to be proud that she married me. I want my, my, my kids to be proud that I'm their dad, even though sometimes I also like to embarrass them. I'll get home today, my daughter will say, Dad, why'd you talk about that? I want to make them proud. When we love someone, we do things to make them proud, and there's a fine line there. It's, it's, it's the fine line of love over performance. And so, in conclusion of today's message, I want to give us four things that are often seen in our relationship with other people, especially our relationship when it comes to marriage, that will help us achieve endless love for God. The first thing is foundational. The first thing is, is it's foundational for our love to be endless for God. And that is, number one, is commitment. Commitment. We have to start with commitment. Your marriage has to start with commitment. Your relationships have to start with commitment. Every single one of these remaining, remaining four points, there's, there's, three, there's four total, all of them are based on commitment. We say here uh, at my refuge, we have we have this this saying in it, and it says the difference between being an attender and a member is commitment. The difference in just just coming and going and, and, and attending the refuge church, and the difference of being a part of us is your commitment level. It's your commitment level. 
we have a desire for all of us to be committed. We want all of you to be committed to the Refuge Church. Not because we're the answer, but because we point you to the answer. Come on, somebody, right? And we want you to be a part of us because we want to serve Jesus together. So be committed. And if we're going to be committed in order to have endless love for God, if we're going to be a committed follower of Jesus, we must be committed to the things that Jesus is committed to. And so just three things that Jesus was committed to. Number one, he was committed to the church. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Jesus gave his whole life for the church. It is, I've heard someone say this before, I don't know who said it. But it is impossible to love God and not love the church. It's impossible. Because God loves the church. It's impossible to say you love Jesus and not love the church because Jesus loved the church and gave himself for it. The the second thing that Jesus was committed to was God's word. So he was committed to the church and he was committed to God's word. Throughout his entire life, Jesus quoted scripture. That's why the Bible says in the book of Psalms that I will hide God's word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. That's my old school King James. Like when I when I memorize scripture, I, rem- I memorize it in the old school King James because it was poetic and it was easier to, re- to remember. That's, that's not a joke. Okay, I'm going to move on. God was, Jesus was committed to the, to the scriptures. Um, and we really see this in, in the book of Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus is led into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. The Bible says that that, that, tempt, that, Jesus, that Satan tempted him four times, and all four times he quoted scripture. People do not live by bread alone, Jesus said. That's found in Deuteronomy chapter 8. He will order his angels to protect you, Jesus responded. That's in Psalm chapter 91, verse 11 and 12. But Psalm 91, we really, really like in our church. If you go to my refuge, you'll see that. Psalm 91 is he said, you must not tempt the Lord your God. That's in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. And then he said, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. That's also in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Jesus was committed to the church. He was committed to God's word. And finally, he was committed to prayer. Max Lucado said, you're never more like Jesus when you pray for other people. You're never more like Jesus than when you pray for other people. My favorite prayer that Jesus ever prayed is found in John chapter 17. We're not going to read it this morning. You can go and you can read it for your, your devotions maybe tomorrow morning as you get up and you spend time with, with God. You can go and you can read John 17. He prayed that we would be a unified church so that when we become unified, when the world sees us come together, that we would point people to him as our source of unity. can't love Jesus and not love to talk to God. So we have to be committed to the church. We have to be committed to God's word. We have to be committed to prayer. The second thing that we see paralleled with 
our relationships and our relationship with God is communication. Communication, which goes right along with prayer, right? We have to communicate with God in order to have a relationship with him in order for it to grow and be anyway. We communicate with God by praying and talking to him and by reading this book and by reading his word so that he can communicate with us. Communication is a two-way street. Number three, the third thing that we must find a way to prioritize in our lives if we're going to have endless love for God is priorities. Priorities. Again, it's built on commitment. So we must communicate or we we must be committed. We must communicate and we must prioritize. We must prioritize our time, our finances, our relationships, everything in our life. Have, we, we must find a way to put God first in all of it. If you want your relationship with, with God, your love for God to last, it has to be first in our lives. My pastor, Derek Fry, uh, sent out a tweet yesterday, and I thought, you know what, that's really good. I'm going to go ahead and read that to my people. And it, he said this, he said, if you change the mindset from time with God to a date with God, you'll show up more often. If you change your mindset of having time with God to having a date with God, you're going to show up more often. How many of you would be mad if your wife didn't show up for a date or your girlfriend? How, how many of you, you single, single fellas and ladies, would be upset if you got stood up on a date? Yeah, you would. So don't stand God up tomorrow morning as you wake up and have a date with God to read his word, to pray to him, to talk to him, to spend time with him. Finally, the last thing that we must find in our relationship with God is my favorite thing in my marriage, and that's romance. Romance. Pastor Adam, how do you romance God? I'm glad you asked. I mean it. How do you romance God? Well, when I romance my wife, which probably more often than she likes, but hey, when I romance my wife, you know what I do? I put her first. I serve her. I, I serve her. I plan a date to go and to, um, to serve her, to, to lead her, to, to, to spend time with her. I'll go and wash the dishes for, for her because I want to romance her. And, and, and so, so romance is really just serving. And it's, it can be romantic. And it's the same with God. We have to find a way to serve him. If you want your love for him to be endless, serve him. Do something for him. Do something for other people in his name so that you can serve him. 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 24 says, But be sure to fear the Lord and faithfully serve him and think of all the things that he has done for you. We serve him because he has been good to us. This is why we believe at the refuge that everyone needs to be a part of the dream team at the refuge church. Not so that 
I don't have to set up the curtains next Sunday. <laughs> Although that would be nice. Or so that we can give Jesus a break in setting up the curtains, because really he's the one that sets them up the most times I know. It's not so that we can unload the trailer every week. It's not so that we can have enough people to give everyone high fives as they come into, ser- into the service. It's not so that we can have someone to make the coffee. It's so that you can serve your creator and allow him into your life and allow him to energize you and to bring things out of you that you didn't even know were there. Because when we serve Jesus, we discover things about us. Oh man, I didn't realize that I could stand up in front of 150 people with a microphone and tell them about how good God is in my life. Darren never dreamed of doing that two years ago. But because he has given his heart to follow Jesus and to grow and to serve, he's here. And he can, God can do the same thing with all of you. Because when we serve him, He pulls things out of us that we didn't know were there. And we believe that all of you can experience it and all of you should experience it. Because there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. It's like learning how to ride a bike every Sunday. I didn't realize I could do that. It's not about us. It's all about Him. And when we make it about Him, He does things that we've never even dreamed of. Ephesians chapter 4. That He does things that we, we, that were far greater than than our dreams. Ephesians 3, 21. But maybe you're here this morning and you've never had a relationship with Jesus. You've never had a relationship with God. to end this experience without giving you the opportunity to receive it. Would you do me a favor? Would you guys stand to your feet as we reflect on this message? So again, that fine line, right? We, we serve God because we desire to make Him proud. But remember, it's not about the performance. It's about doing it based on his love for us, responding with love for him. That's why we do it. Do me a favor, bow your heads and close your eyes. Maybe you're here this morning. And you just, you just, you just have never had a relationship with God. I want you to know this morning that God has done everything that he can to have a relationship with you. Everything. The Bible says in John 3.16, the most popular verse of all time, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. He loved you so much that he gave. So that if you believe in him, you can live with him forever. 
also had this saying at the refuge that even the devil believes in God. The difference between us and the devil is that the devil hasn't put his trust in him. And when we believe and we trust God, that's where we find faith. That's where we find salvation. So let me ask you this question. Is there anyone here this morning that would let me know by raising your hand and saying, Pastor Adam, you know what? I, I want to trust God. I want to trust in him this morning. Is there anyone like that? Just put your hand up. Put your hand down. Thank you. Anyone else? I want to trust God. I want to fall in love with him. If you raise your hand, I want you to say this prayer right where you stand. Say, God, I want to trust you. And I know that I can trust you because of what your son Jesus has done for me. So God, I ask you to send your son Jesus into my heart. Help me to live for him. Help me to love you and follow you. Make me a new person because of what Jesus has done for me. Thank you for sending him to die back to life so that I can live forever. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Keep your heads bowed, your eyes closed. Christian, it is my desire that you would all fall in love with your Creator. That you would fall madly in love with Him. Like, like back, thinking back for those of you married folks, that original like heart just to get beat like beat down your chest that type of love for God that's what I want that's what I want for my life and that's certainly what I want for my church so we're going to pray I'm going to pray right now that, that we would discover that and at the end we're going to celebrate what God has done God's kingdom come but if, before Thank you so much for who you are and what you do. God, I pray that this morning we would just fall madly in love with you. I pray, Lord, that we would respond to you appropriately. That we would that we would be committed to follow you. That we would be committed to the things that Jesus was committed to. That we would be committed to the church. That we would be committed to prayer. That we would be committed to your word. God, I pray that we would we would just look at tomorrow morning as a date with you. As we open up your word and we begin our day with you. God, I pray that you would be with everyone in this room this week. Lord, help us to love you. And God, help us to love each other. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you give God a hand?
hands today. Come on, come on, come on.